0: Welcome to the well-being podcast intentional well-being podcast i am here with 300 pounds and running Martinus evans and oh my gosh how long has it taken us to try to get this uh podcast together like two years
1: years <laughs> years pre-pandemic. exactly
0: we just couldn't get our act together and i gotta say i'm completely fangirling because I've been following you on the gram forever, and the thing i loved about your page is that you are very intentional about saying, I'm not here on a weight loss journey, I'm here to share my fitness journey with you, which I really appreciate. Thank you. I'm I'm going to read your bio and give you a little props, pump you up, so Martinez Evans, is a no chaser type of guy who has journeyed to better health and self. Furthermore, he's passionate about helping people be the best that they can be. Uh, He's the 300 pounds in running. He has a weight uh, is uh, I do not like to think of the 300 pounds and running as a weight loss blog, running blog or healthy lifestyle blog, but rather a self-improvement blog, because believe it or not, Weight loss journey has more to do about overcoming psychological barriers and dealing with traumas than it has about losing weight. So besides your journey to better health and to better yourself, your overarching goal for this blog is to inspire and challenge. You expand your comfort zone to motivate you to change your thinking around overall health. So I really love that because... From the beginning, you have been really clear that this is a wellness journey for you. So tell me, how did you get started with running? And what are some of your biggest aha moments that you found on your running journey?
1: Yeah. So, Diane, let me take you back to 2012, where I was, I don't even know. I was oh, wow. Again.
0: You're a youngin'. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you how old I was.
1: So... So back in 2012, um, I was working at Men's Warehouse at the time, um, working commission sales on my feet all day, every day, Mm slinging these suits. Uh, One day I felt uh, the sharp pain in my hip, which led me to go to a doctor, which led me to go to like a road of multiple doctors. Um, I found myself in front of a orthopedic specialist and he's like, Mr. Evans, I know why you're in pain. What's that I say? You know, do I need to get a hip replacement? Because I played collegiate hmm? football or, you know, you know, do I need quarter zone shots? And without him even looking at a chart or anything like that, he's like, it's because Ooh. you're fat. Hmm. What? Hmm. Yes. And it, it, he went on this whole tangent of like, you need to lose weight, you have a pregnant woman breast, you know, just dogging me out. Just you're fat, you need to lose weight, you are gonna die. Um, And sarcastically, I said to him, "Like I'm going to run a marathon." He wow. laughs at me, and uh, he tells me that's the most stupidest thing he ever heard anybody say in all of his years. Holy practicing.
0: smokes! Talk about bedside yes. manner. Talk about having no humanity towards your patients. That's gross.
1: Exactly. So we going back and forth. You know, he's saying things. I'm saying, "Screw you!" I'm going to run this marathon. He said, "You're going to die." So we get into this big argument. I stormed out the doctor's office. And as I'm driving home, I'm still ruminating on this whole thing. And I drove past a running shoe store. So I made an illegal U turn. <laughs> I went inside the running shoe store and I said, I need shoes and I need them now. And that became like the start of my journey. I got the shoes and I got on the treadmill because I was like, I want to run this marathon today, though I didn't know how long mm. the marathon was. And and got on the treadmill and couldn't run longer than thirty seconds. The start fell
2: mm-hmm.
1: miserably. Fell mm-hmm. off the treadmill because, like, either the treadmill was was rejecting me or my body was rejecting the treadmill. I like to
0: think the latter. Oh. And, um...
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So, um, that was the journey. And then I've been doing that strong for, like I said, going on 10 years. Um, ran over eight marathons, a hundred different other races. Um, was on a I know, the cover of Runner's World
0: the cover of runner's world i bought five issues okay martin i bought five (laughs) issues because it's about damn time as my girl liza would say that we saw a diversity of running bodies and i'm impressed eight marathons are no joke and for our listeners out there who might not be runners 5k is not a marathon 26.2 miles or 44 kilometers is a marathon so just 42 42 kilometers, kilometers. I added an extra two there, but 42 kilometers is a marathon and that is no small feat because I've read in a number of publications that the body can pretty much run 20 miles, but those last six miles of a 26 miles seems to be the hardest for most of us. I've uh, run two. Hellacious. Yes. Hellacious. Yes. Yes. So that is. I was so excited to see you on there. And what did that mean for you to be on the front of Runner's World?
1: Oh man. I think for me, it was just a picture. But I think for the the movement and um, for the people who may have not thought that they can do it, I think it means a lot more for them. But for me, it was just a picture on a on a piece wow. of paper but i think it it means so much more and it actually it represents a lot more to other people mm-hmm. right when you think of a runner you think of skinny it two pictures come to mind skinny yes. white or skinny and like african
2: yes yeah right
1: like yes. nigerian type thing so like to see a 300 plus pound man On the cover, the premier cover of the premier magazine that represents running, uh, shows that there's a paradigm shift when it comes to running. It's not about being fast. It's not about losing weight. It's not about being skinny. It's really about
0: joyful movement. Yes, 100%. Joyful movement is always um, what we're looking for. And I think joyful movement is something that is intentional. And it's something that uh, will give you sustainability because if you're not enjoying it while you're doing it, it's just not going to be happening. Right. Like, right. Because I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been running on and off for about 20 years. I ran my first marathon in 2020 and I've run one other one. And I've also run a, a race in Hamilton, Ontario called around the Bay which is just which is just 19.2 miles just shy of the wall you hit. I can't speak to you but I hit a wall in both my marathons at the 20 mile mark where I was just like, mm-hmm. "Oh no, this wall is real." It like erected itself out of the ground <laughs> and I hit it so hard and I kept telling myself in my head that it's only 10k to go, 6 6.2 miles. You run a 10K three times a week. You can get to the end of this race. And uh, the first race I did was the Detroit Free Press Marathon. And it's important in those last 10Ks that you don't look around. Like, just look forward towards the finish line because there are people on the side throwing up. There are people getting into ambulance. There are people stretching out. There are people just playing, lying down. There are people crying, and I'm like, Keep focus. <laughs> I've, um, I've trained for too long, I've worked too hard um, not to just to, to lose focus. And when I ran my marathon, um, MP3 players were a brand new thing. So this is well before um, 2012. I just, I mean, we were so young. I love it. Um, so I, uh, we had these MP3 players that Nike was the first company to come out with one that you could kind of wear on your arm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock everybody. Mm-hmm. It held eight songs. <laughs> so I had to listen to those same eight th- songs for four hours and 22 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's come a long way, but I appreciate changing the narrative that anybody can run. Um, what inspires you on a daily basis to run? Like, do you run daily? I see you working out in your backyard with your weights and stuff, and I'm like, woo! like getting strong what inspires you to move your body
1: oh man um it, it varies initially it was spiked. Oh. I'm going to spike you show socket. him your
0: cover like, I would have rolled back into his office and went ching.
1: so here's the thing because I'm that.
0: petty like
1: that <laughs> that was the first since that was the first since last time oh good okay.
0: Fair enough.
1: never met him again never like literally control alt delete i found the new doctor and you know went through the whole process of that but like it is some time where i think about like damn like if i would have kept in contact with this doctor just so i can show him how much of an yeah. asshole he was and like show how much he yeah. was wrong you know i think that would have been so oh, much yeah. sweeter however i just had to just live in that memory um but initially with spite it was like oh i need to prove this doctor wrong, like. I want to do. So if I want to run a marathon, gonna I'm that. going to do that. Yep. Um I think now it's more of like uh, beating my personal best. Mm-hmm. So I think that and just having as much fun as possible because it's something about running races mm-hmm. that um that just it's it's unexplainable to be around thousands of other people who are running the same distance the random conversations you'll have, the random conversations that you'll hear, you know, all of those things happen during a race. And to be able to experience that with people and like go with people along this journey. And, you know, one of the things that I like to do is like pick up people along the way. It's like, hey, man, I don't think I can do this. It's like, well, come run with me. Like, we gonna run this together. That's what inspires me to run.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. What lessons have you learned during running?
1: Uh, I think the biggest one is that I can do whatever I put my mind to. Mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think that's, I think that is the, the biggest one, you know, that quote of whether you think you can or you can't, you're right.
0: right. Yes. A hundred percent. And you ran Boston. Yeah. Yes. And tell me about running Boston. Cause that is a benchmark for a lot of runners boston i was so proud boston. of you i shared that on my instagram when you finished boston because i mean that i ran detroit and that's flat and nice and low-key
1: boston took something away from me no, i bet
0: <laughs> it's not an easy race for anybody
1: boston is like one of the hardest courses yeah. um and one of the reasons why it's a very tough course a it's, it's hilly but the first half of the race, you start going downhill. So you think you're flying and you think like, oh, this race is nothing. So you're giving yourself even you're you turning up the pace a little bit more. Usually during that time, you're supposed to pull back and kind of ease into it. But like you're going downhill. So you're like the hair is in my wind. I'm feeling light. I'm doing this. I don't know what people are talking about. Halfway through <laughs> it's uphill battle. Uh- and then around mile 18 um, it's it's see the fire truck or a barn there and like it's like the toughest hill ever
2: it's crazy
1: and then you get to mile 20 which is called heartbreak hill Mm. and then like that's another hill Mm -hmm. and then from mile 20 all the way to the finish it's just rolling hills and it's like what is this (laughs) what is this So, and for me, we ran it, I ran the Boston Marathon in October, uh, which is a very odd time to run Boston because, because of the pandemic.
0: Oh, right. Sure.
1: So in October, 75 degrees, uh, 89% humidity. So it was icky. It was sticky and it was a tough race. It took, it took something out of me. Mm. I haven't got it back yet. But Boston was definitely one of those things. I was like, oh, this is it. Like, this is the pinnacle.
0: I was so impressed because I have heard so many stories about Boston from so many uh, different folks who have run Boston. And for us here in Detroit, Detroit is a qualifying uh, marathon for Boston. And where I live in uh, Windsor, Ontario, Canada, it's like super flat here. The hills that we have here are former garbage dumps that have been reconstituted into parks and, and things like that. So it's not a very high hill. It really is a hill, it's not a mountain. But hearing about like people run the Boston Marathon and just just to finish, I mean, even just to qualify and to qualify in your age group is a feat in and amongst itself because there's so many people that I came up with in the running world 20 years ago who spent – like four or five years just trying to qualify for Boston. I even had a friend miss his qualifying time by one minute. And the reason that he missed it by one minute is he stopped to go in the bathroom. And I said to him, if you have to pee and you're already running 26.2 miles, just pee. Because you are going to be drunk <laughs> at the end anyway. You're going to be sweaty at the end anyway. You're probably already wet anyway. But uh, he stopped and stood in front of the porta potty and lost his qualifying time. Uh, tried to r- write the Boston Marathon and say, hey, you know, I would have made it, but I was in line. And they're like, nope, you're going to have to qualify next yeah. year. So when you got that letter saying you are in, were you elated? Like, were you over the top? And did you did you apply a couple different times? Or was it like your first time? First
1: time in. So, how I got in is a little bit different than what most people do to get in. So, so let me tell you about this. Yeah, there please. are multiple ways to get into Boston Marathon other than qualifying, qualifying time runs. Um, and I think this is one of the biggest mis- misconstruction that like people have is like, oh, I got to be fast. Yeah. So, a couple ways you can run for charity.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. You
1: can. Um, you, have to run for, you can run for charity. You can um, go through it through like a marathon tour. So like there's a company It's called like marathontours.com. Oh. You can go through it that way. Okay. Um, Boston Marathon itself, like give out some bibs for like special occasions. Okay. And or you can get through through a sponsor. So okay. uh, with me being a Adidas sponsor athlete and Adidas being their um, like title sponsor, you know, it was more of talking to Adidas of like, "Hey, um, one of the things I, I I want to do in my life is to run Boston," and them being like, "You, you being like, you, you got it. Mm. Let's let's make some narrative about this. Let's train you for this thing.
0: Nice.
1: And like, let's go through the process so you can be able to cross that finish line victoriously."
0: I love that. Now, how did you become an Adidas sponsored athlete?
1: Oh, man, I've been working with Adidas for about pff, two years, three years, 2019. Oh, wow. um, long story short, they found me and they hired me to come be a um, be a model and like a commercial shoot that they were doing.
0: That's fantastic. I love this. So,
1: I was only supposed to be there for like a cameo and things of that sort. And then they met my, they seen my personality and it was like, Oh, we need to do more with you. So like a trip to Portugal that I was only supposed to be there for a day <laughs> or a couple of days.
0: I think I read about this on your Instagram. Yeah. 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 I <laughs> so <Portugal. a> trip... <laughs> That seems <unfair>. so like, <laughs>
1: a, a trip to Portugal that was supposed to be like a day or so ended up being a week. And then there was like, Hey, uh, we like you. Um, and we we're shooting another commercial in Athens. Greece. Greece. Yes. Athens, Georgia.
0: Athens, Greece.
1: <laughs> Athens, Greece. And wow. would you like to go? Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Hell yes. I would like to go.
0: Yeah. bucket So
1: I stuff. went there as well. And I spent another week in Greece and um, I built more relationships. And from that point on, it was like, oh yeah, we need to bring you on. Like we, we 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 need you and your energy a part of the adidas family and i've been working with them ever since.
0: i love that i am so thrilled to see big brands like adidas and even nike um reach out to athletes of every size because Mm -hmm. i'm very tired of the narrative that people who enjoy fitness or people who enjoy movement or people who do intentional joyful movement look a certain Mm -hmm. way i think you spoke to that about what does a marathon runner look like or what does a runner look like and i'm thrilled to have big brand companies start to expand their uh size range because people who want to do movement come in all kinds of sizes i love that they see you beyond the athlete like your personality shines out and that you are someone that people can look up to and i just love that you put yourself out there with such grace and such peace and such love and such appreciation and i know a lot of us in bigger bodies plus size bodies abundant bodies however you like to characterize yourself haven't had that sense of power how did you come to be this person to feel powerful in your body in a society that tells you your body is wrong
1: <laughs> we gonna need longer than this podcast to get to.
0: That. Well, that means you have to get back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so I think it's a lot of personal development, right? I think A, it's going through therapy mm-hmm. and like really focusing on your traumas, right? Yes, um, 100%. I think B, um, it's really taking a like a look at yourself to be like like i'm the shit yeah and i need to tell myself that and regardless of like what any people else like say or think about me like i'm the shit yeah and really like really live that and believe that and then i think the the third thing is like doing things that actually like bring you joy Mm. and have fun doing it Mm -hmm. so like if running's not your thing like don't do it yeah but if like weightlifting is your thing, like get at it. Go after it, right? Yeah. And I think I think that's the thing, right? And then the last thing, I know I said C, but D, it's like we have to stop using and looking at exercise as a punishment for for being fat.
0: Yes. Yes. Punishing our bodies for not fitting into the status quo or what society thinks is fit and normal or or a beauty aesthetic, right?
1: Right. 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 So, um, so a little bit about my background, mm-hmm. you know, I have a, I have a bachelor's in exercise physiology and a master's and, uh, you can call it public health, it's called health promotion. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things is that there's so many other benefits to like regular exercise, than weight loss mm-hmm. that these other benefits outshine all the other things. Mm. And I think that my, my personal thing is that like everybody should be being active in whatever way they, they can mm-hmm. because like that's the key not the weight not the bmi like not not all these other like arbitrary like
0: bmi needs scales. to go away. bmi doesn't yeah. measure anything and is not used to diagnose anything it's a bullshit no. measuring index sorry I'll get off my soapbox now. As you were saying, <laughs> I get triggered by that that word, those three letters together. <laughs> Activated by those it, three words together.
1: <laughs> we can we can hop on that. Um, but like when you really think about like even when you think about like all the other before and after pictures of like people's like I started running and lost weight and I gained confidence and my blood pressure went down and like Uh, My A1Cs and my cholesterol, and all this other stuff. And that happened because I exercised and I lost weight. And I'm like, no, it's because you exercise.
2: Yeah. There you go. There you go.
1: There you go. Yeah. So, like, it's one of those things of like really getting people to really understand that. Mm -hmm. And like, it's another thing to also understand like, you can be uncomfortable uncomfortable in your body like yeah. that's okay yeah and really figuring out what that look what that looks like and what that means to start being comfortable in your body yes yeah. while still going on this journey of fitness yes like those two things can be those two things can be mutually exclusive you can still be uncomfortable with your body yeah and like be physically active and still be on that journey to figure out how to be more comfortable, comfortable in your body
0: yeah i think that's a big one that people don't necessarily understand and when i talk about body acceptance and body positivity which i think has become Mm. a catch-all phrase for a lot of um misinformation in some ways is that every you're not going to wake up every morning and be as appreciative about your body as you think you are supposed to be because we have been indoctrinated around fatness being a problem and fatness being wrong and fatness being unhealthy and you know what i mean for i want to say 100 years for as long as i've been alive my mother has always been on a diet she just turned 80 a week ago and she is still dining which i'm just like Mm -hmm. you're 80 um if you wanted to eat something now would be the time because you know and i just i'm grateful to to talk about that some days you wake up and you're not going to feel great um, in your body and other days you're going to wake up and you're like, I'm killing the game. And even on some days when I see myself in a recording doing something, I'm like, Ooh, is that what I look like? And then other days I'll be like, Oh, you know what? That's what I look like. And so it's, it's a process and it's a practice. And for those of you who practice yoga, it's, it's a practice. Every day is going to be different. I'm hoping to someday get to the point of body neutrality where I can just be see my body and not have an opinion about the things that are quote unquote wrong with it. Right. And I think another thing, Diane,
1: that most people I don't think have the privilege to understand uh or like even know is like this term here, homeostasis, mm-hmm. which means that your body is going to do whatever is considered the normal like, get it. back to the normal measurement of whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's why 95%, 99% of all dieters regain weight. Mm-hmm. It's because of homeostasis. Mm-hmm. It's because, like, your body, like, our bodies are meant to, you know, be prepared to go through some type of famine. You mm-hmm. we know, we're not going through famine. Like, that's that's a part of our body. So, when you go through this rapid weight loss that happens in a, a, uh, in a short period of time, or even a longer period of time, your bodies think we're going through starvation. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's going to send all these hormones to say, eat more. You need to eat. You're going to be always hungry. And it's going to give you that thing to like, make you put that weight back on. Mm -hmm. It's going to slow down your metabolism. It's going to do all these other psychological things Mm -hmm. and physiological things in order to get back to that homeostasis weight. Right. So it's like you're fighting it against you're fighting against your body's own Genetic. physiological response.
0: Yes. Yes. I have been saying that for the past six or seven years. Uh, I developed a thyroid problem, and I was rapidly losing weight, and I wasn't even doing anything. I was literally not feeling well enough to do any kind of movement, and the weight was just falling off of me, and I was just. Eating, 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 and people, I felt like hell. And people would just compliment me on what I looked like, even though I felt terrible. And then that was that realization that a lot of your activity, if you're exercising to change your body, there's way more to it than that. Like, I love it when people say, like, calories in versus calories out. Actually, no. Hormones. There's lots of factors. And I always tell people, your body is built up of hundreds of years of ancestry, perhaps thousands of years of ancestry to be distilled down to a custom entity that you reside in that comes from all these other genetic factors. You can't tell me, and this is another reason why diets don't work, that you can pick a random diet that has nothing to do with your physiological needs and all of a sudden achieve this dream body that doesn't really exist. I prefer to think about my connection to my ancestries. Uh, this body comes from, you know, a long line of strong people, you know, my grandmother, right. my great grandmother, all of these things. And so I always say to myself, it's more about respecting the vessel that I'm in and treating it with love and gratitude as opposed to picking up all these arbitrary sayings or arbitrary ideas about what my body should look like and, you know, what I should be doing. I do the things that make me feel good. I eat the things that make me feel good. And the rest of that whole diet culture, I'm not interested in.
1: Right. Big facts.
0: Big, right? I'm just, it, it doesn't apply to me. I, I, whenever I hear stuff, I go, oh, they're not talking to me. <laughs> but we touched on the bullshit measuring index, the BMI. And you said we can go there. So you know, even though I am activated, I want to go there. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts, I want to hear your expertise. Because you have some you have some expertise around this with your studies and your degrees. What can you tell me about BMI and what can we dispel about BMI? I'm gonna give you my arrogant opinion. It measures nothing (laughs) relevant. Uh
1: Ah, So so, like I said, bachelor's in exercise physiology, masters in health promotion. Did about five or six years in actual research. Mm. Um so I'm I'm not new to this true to this. So let's talk about it. A BMI is just a ratio.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a ratio of height to weight. Yeah. And the inventor himself, I can't remember his name. He created this. He created this thing. A. He's he's written in multiple papers that this wasn't supposed to be a standard to measure like fatness and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. It was just a ratio. And it was a ratio because this guy studied, like...
2: Astronomy? Physics.
1: No, eugenics.
2: Oh, oh, okay.
1: Like, trying to figure out, like, how to get the perfect man or female Mm -hmm. for war. And then he used this ratio to create that. (laughs) And then what happened is that the BMI became a quote unquote golden standard for a while is because it was a quick and easy thing to look at. Okay. When you think about population studies, when you look at like, you know, at that at that type of stuff, it's easier to get somebody's height and weight and like do the calculations versus like actually trying to measure that person, get their actual measurements and things of that sort. So, so it's lazy. like that's where yes. So that's where They started to use that in like population studies, which then trickled down to science because then scientists are lazy as well Mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier to call somebody and say, hey, Diane, how much do you weigh and how tall are you? Mm. And then do the calculation and then look at that number on on, on a piece of chart than to actually do the research it takes to find out like what that actually means. So when you look at it, it, all it really comes down to is laziness and science.
0: Yeah, lazy science, like lazy science. And if your doctor is using that calculation to measure your health, that is totally lazy medicine because yes. there are better so- diagnostic tools to measure your health.
1: So, and then the other thing, you know, I don't want to get too deep is we can talk about risk risk factors, right? Mm-hmm. And risk factors are nothing but statistics to say, okay, if you have something over this number, you have a more than likely higher risk to have this disease or be correlated to this disease than other people.
2: Mm. But
1: that risk does not equal you get in that disease right and correlation Correlation
0: versus
1: causation does and that's the first thing you learn in science is that correlation does not equal causation Mm -hmm. so those two things can be correlated but that does not mean that one thing causes another Mm -hmm. you know and i think the thing that they always use in like stats class is like um the number of shootings versus the number of ice cream that's being sold in the summertime. Oh,
0: and it's like, okay. Well, They're proportional.
1: Yes. Like and like this is the thing they talk about in like my stats class. Like the first thing is like, all right, look at this chart. Look at the the number of ice cream sales throughout the summer or throughout the year mm-hmm. versus the number of gun violence.
2: Mm.
0: And like
1: you can see like there's a correlation between <laughs> ice cream sales and
0: gun violence. And the more
1: ice cream sales you have <laughs> and gun violence.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: like do you does that mean that we should stop selling ice cream because that's going to stop gun violence? If only. No. <laughs> right? So the same thing is true for the BMI is that, yes, you can put that number against any type of risk factor or comorbidity, that you want to call it. And like, yeah, the chart might go to the left, but that doesn't, I mean, over to the right, up in the right, but that's a correlation does not equal causation. So I think when you think about all of that stuff, and you know, for me, I, I always go back to the things that everything in this world is made up. Yeah. And like once you understand, like, oh, like this is just made up bullshit, and like I can, <laughs> like, and like everybody just went along with it. Yeah. You can be like, well, I don't want to believe it's made up bullshit. Like I'm gonna go with something else.
0: Absolutely. And I wish that yeah. we had more courage to be that way, to 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 chart our own course, and once we learn up that, that it's you know, made up bullshit, we don't have to let that factor into our lives. And I've been really fortunate that my family doctor has never mentioned it and will be the first to tell you out loud that it's not an indicator of anything. It doesn't really tell us a whole lot. And there are better diagnostic tools to measure health. And I remember when I was in my 20s, in the 90s, the BMI got changed, I think around maybe 92 or 93. I don't remember. But prior to that, my BMI was apparently perfect, according to my doctor. And it changed overnight. And then I was went from being perfect on a Monday to more publicly obese on a Tuesday, just based on that calculation. And you know, and at the time, I was really um, invested in my disordered eating and my working out a lot and all that. So it sent me down a really terrible spiral because people were selling me the this this theory as though it were fact, as though it were something I had to live and die by. And I almost died by it. So I think that's why I'm always so activated by it because literally one day I was had the perfect BMI and then the next day I just didn't based on a, a, a slight uh, revision of the calculation however they were calculating it and i think i wish i had the wherewithal in that moment to realize oh this is bullshit because you can change a number overnight and change apparently my health o- outcome based on a yes. calculation i'm like how does everything's work? made up <laughs> and just made up by by anybody at, well mostly white folks but <laughs> but it, yeah. i'm just saying I, I looked at the picture of the creator of the bmi which is Adolphe Quinlet. he was an astronomer, mathematician, statistician and sociologist from the Brussels Observatory and was influenced statistical methods to social scientists. So I was just like okay so he's not even a doctor. You know what I mean? Like no. he doesn't even have a medical degree. It's drink. all
1: it's all, stats. It's all I mean, stats. He was just trying to find the ratio. Yeah. And then when you look at all the other stuff it is it's really a bigger issue about all of that stuff, right? When you think about the president's fitness test and all that stuff, oh, all of that worst. stuff there, all of this stuff here is in order to keep people in a specific way in order to fight wars.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense because I never so, understood that. Right. Yes. So
1: like, it's, it's all that way in order for us to be be able to fight wars.
0: <laughs> See, That's I was I this many years old when I learned this from you. I was 52 years old when I learned this from you. <laughs> because We have it here in Canada. It's called something else, but it's the same thing. How many chin-ups you can do, how far you can run in, I think it's four or 12 minutes. It, grade school, like primary school, it was four minutes. High school, it was 12 minutes. How many push-ups could you do? How many sit-ups could you do? And then we had to hang from a rope for whatever reasons. And that, when you were in, either in high school or grade school measured your fitness. And I can't do a single pull up to save my life. I got booty and legs and it's just not happening. My, my upper body's like, are you kidding? That's not happening. But what it didn't measure is that I rode my bike every day for hours that I played on a softball team that I went to gymnastics and all those things. They measured my whole health and fitness around these five exercises that had very little to do with actual fitness or cardiovascular fitness anyway and was more a measure of strength. It didn't it didn't take into consideration I was a super active kid, but I just didn't train in these areas. Like you know, at that time I wasn't a runner and at that time I wasn't focused on improving my upper body strength. I mean, I could pull myself out of something, but I couldn't do 10 pull-ups. Like if I if I fell down, I could pull myself out of a hole, but that's about it. Like I wasn't designed to be doing those things.
1: So, there's two places where that's uh where that type of testing is still being used still in the police collo- in the police academy oh and in um the army
0: huh interesting yeah. interesting. Well, I love clearing up any myths and ideas about that because it has been a source of youthy uh, aggravation for me for quite some time. And I just, whenever I hear it, the first, if I'm at a um, conference <laughs> or I'm in a talk and I hear it, I instantly put up my hand and go, it's a bullshit measuring index. We need to switch everywhere. I'm just so activated by the BMI. Incredible. So I want to talk to you a little bit about fitness for everyone. This is the first time I kind of, I was following you and then I, then my friend Louise Green, big fit girl did this book. Did she, Mm. and I saw you for the first time in living color doing all this wonderful stuff. Tell me about your experience of being a part of this wonderful book.
1: Oh, man, it was a very um, humbling experience to be a part of. So uh, Louise reached out to me and was like, hey, I really like the things that you're doing. And I'm like, well, you know, great, because I've been following you for a while. And she nice. was like, hey, um like, how about like, would you be interested in being a part of this? And I'm saying, great. And and then I got the opportunity to actually you know write the for for the book and
2: mm-hmm. you know it,
1: it was a great opportunity and it's uh, it was something too that I'm very humble to be a, be a part of because it's really about fitness being for everybody.
0: Oh yeah. And what would you tell people who are have a connection to fitness as a way to punish your body? How do we start to change that personal narrative for yourself? What well, were some of the ways that you change that personal narrative
1: for yourself Oh, you know i would say to stop that shit now <laughs> <laughs> so that's the first thing just stop that shit now i know that's easier said than done sure um but i would say the first thing is really understanding that it's really about like life is short mm-hmm. we haven't been, have been through this pandemic you know sure. people are dying left and right you know out here in the states we haven't like It just seems like these mass shootings are like every, every day, day, every day, twice a day. Yeah. Like it's a life is short and it's fragile and it's precious. And would you rather do something that you enjoy and and do that? And God forbid something happens to you. And it's like, oh, at least Diane did something that she enjoyed versus you chasing something Mm -hmm. that's unattainable your whole life. And then something like that happens
0: yep yep i think about that all the time
1: i think about that all the time right you know getting to this age now especially you know i'm i'm in i'm at the age where where we like family planning and things of that sort i think about my mortality a lot yeah if i'm going to get up out of here and i know i'm gonna get up out of here i just don't know when i don't know where but i if i'm out of here tomorrow at least i did some things that i did that was joyful yeah and then i made an impact on like somebody else's life because you know you read about that uh, i was that book it's called like i think it's called the five regrets oh
2: um
1: i I think it's called the five regrets but it's about like you know um somebody asks uh all of these people that were on a deathbed Mm. like what are the things that they regretted Mm -hmm. and like it was like not spending enough time with family you know, spending so much time at work, like all these other things. Mm -hmm. And when you really think about it, like the things that really matter Mm -hmm. is family, joy, and like, just like making an impact and enjoying your life on this short period of time that we have on this earth. On this spinning rock. Yeah. Yeah. On this spinning rock and and nothingness floating. Like I would rather spend that time doing stuff that I actually enjoyed than like going after and and going after some arbitrary bullshit. And another thing, you can't take none of this shit with you anyway,
2: wherever (laughs) we're going. It's all a lie.
0: (laughs) We can't take none of this shit anyway. True story. True story. I just, I hope that we learn that or a lot of us learn that sooner rather than later that we spent all this time focusing on all the wrong things and I think what has been really interesting about this pandemic which is still going on here too even though we're pretending like it's all over people are still getting sick people are still dying um it's it's so it's it's here forever we've got to figure out how to better manage it but the one thing i did learn about in the pandemic when i was forced to like sit in my own self-reflection because the world Mm -hmm. had shut down and sit with my own mortality because i have um asthma and i thought ooh, if i get asthma with this this is not going to be good for me um as i sat with all of this stuff is When I leave out of the pandemic, when this is eventually over, when society tells us, okay, it's done now, get back to work or whatever, what are some of the things that I can let go of that I didn't realize were hindering me or keeping me from being happy or keeping me from being intentional? Like what are some of the things I could let go of? I was calling it the great pause. What did I learn from the great pause? And I want to ask you that question. I learned that I don't need to work myself to death and that I don't need to do things that I don't want to do anymore. I'm, I'm 52 years old. I think I've earned the right to be like, you know, not today. I don't want to do these things. What What was your big takeaway from the great pause in terms of self-reflection? Um, I,
1: I think that's the, far, the, the the same thing as well as that. Uh, I don't want to work for anybody else and um, making their dreams come true. When yeah. I got dreams and stuff that I'm putting on the back burner yeah so that was the the first thing that i I learned, and I ended up quitting my job for that, so that was exciting and then, um, the second thing I learned was like all of this shit is made up. I think that's when I was like sitting there, and it's like they they're making this up as we go, and it's like, well, if they can make this up, like why well, I can't make up my own reality like you can. <laughs> Why I can't do that? Why? Why I'm going? Like, why am I living to somebody else's rules that they're making up? Like, why I'm following these social ass norms that don't even make sense? They don't even pertain to me. Like, why? <laughs> why? Why do any of this? We are just on this floating rock. Yeah. So I, I think those two things are the things that I really, I really learned and I really honed in on. And I think. Um, The third thing is that, like, I just want to make sure I'm doing things that are um, joyful Mm -hmm. and that, like, that brings me some joy because, like, life is very short and it's very precious. And during this pandemic, you know, I had family friends who were just like, just up out of here, Mm -hmm. talked to them one week, and then next week they were gone. They were gone. Yeah,
0: I had the same thing.
1: So. I was like, that could be me. Mm-hmm. So I need to at least do look. That could be me. So let me at least do something I'm a, I like and I'm a joy. Shit.
0: <laughs> I love that. So when you left your job, was there any anxiety? And what did you pivot to?
1: Oh, so there was some anxiety. There's still some anxiety. There's always um, anxiety. <laughs> there's to always here. anxiety. Entrepreneurship. There's How always. I anxiety.
0: did that shit myself. Right now, the <laughs> break. <laughs>
1: So, the first thing that I did, you know, because I I always believe in, like, not doing something unless you have a plan. So, I wrote a book proposal.
2: Nice.
1: So, being a part of Louise Green's book inspired me to, like, you know what? It's time. I'm going to write my own book. Yeah, it's time. So, I wrote a book proposal, and I ended up getting a book deal. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> so i ended up getting the book deal and it was enough for me to be like okay i can write a book and um quit my job
2: nice
1: so i quit my job i started writing my book my book is already turned to the publisher oh you you out, submitted your tr- your
0: manuscript
1: should be out um march of june of
0: 2023
1: nice and then i just went all in on the uh the other things like um and then you know after the book deal came to adidas contract and um just other opportunities that just kept going and i was like oh okay like i guess i didn't need a job
0: after all (laughs) you know what i love i love hearing this that you just let go and things came to you yeah like
1: i you know of course i was working while i wrote the wrote the book proposal but like literally once i turned in a uh, proposal and we went out on the market and i got a book deal and i was like wow like that's what they paying for
0: books <laughs> Shit. i'm gonna write another should've,
1: one <laughs> i should have wrote look i should have wrote this book a long time ago
0: exactly but you were tied down to a job that wasn't gonna let you <laughs> you know you just don't you don't know what you don't know right because right. i left to do what i do full-time i left a lovely job as an accountant with a pension and mm-hmm. vacation time and sick days and all that kind of stuff. I had a, a really good gig. You know, I have a, a business degree and a political science public admin degree. And I thought, okay. And I went and worked for the government for a while. And then I had a, a, a realization based on what you you had said earlier that really triggered this thought. I'm at my desk, miserable as hell, just hate being here don't like my boss. I'm fed up with my coworkers. Gonna take a sick day tomorrow because I'm sick of everybody in here and I'm sick of this I time. need a look.
1: I need a mental health day from y'all.
0: <laughs> yes, I can't come up and look at none of y'all faces anymore. I am done, done, done done. And as I took that mental health day, I thought to myself, if I were to die today, like a meteor fell out of the sky or a toilet seat fell out of an airplane and smashed and cracked me on the head. I would die miserable. And is that what I want for myself? I would have lived this miserable existence of being at this desk and I had this misogynist boss and just everybody was a jerk. When I think back on it now, the world has changed and the culture has shifted. He would have been fired in a moment, but I honestly am thinking to myself, why am I doing this? And I came home and I said to uh, my husband, I go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to quit my job and teach yoga. And he was like, uh, wait, what? I said, okay, give me six months to get myself together and I'm going to make this work. And so, because I'm a business degree graduate, I made up a business plan. I did my market research. I figured out how much money I had a baby. I figured out how much money I had to make to you know contribute to my part of the household and you know, all the money I spend at work when we go for coffee and we go for lunch and I need a new suit and I need, you know what I mean? So I added all that together and came up with a proposal and my husband gave me six months to replace the income of my job, or at least make enough income that he didn't feel so taxed that it was all on him. And I did it in six months. I put, I decided I want to be happy and I want to do something I love. I don't want to be at the mercy of someone else. And here I am. Uh, 17 years later, doing what I love, um, like you written a couple of books, you know, done a couple of things. And like you said, it was scary and horrible. And you know, if you're, I, I don't always recommend it for everybody. I think there's like a personality that has to be able to be like, deep breath in deep breath out you know what i mean it's not like okay right, today right. i'm just gonna quit my job and grass for a living like there has to be a bit of a hustle there but the hustle in the beginning has big pay- payoffs at, at the end right so uh, i i had that same realization if i die today i will have been mean to everybody because I was in my own stuff of being miserable. Right. So that, that spoke to me. And I just remembered um, I was like two weeks away from having my second child and we went and watched the pursuit of happiness. Uh That's a heart with Will Smith and Jaden Smith. That was a hard movie to watch when they were sleeping in the subway station, in the bathroom. I was like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) when he was selling those uh portable i think they were uh x-ray machines or whatever he was calling i was like what am i doing (sighs) what is happening and i just was like no 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 uh the difference between you and him is that you have family worst case scenario you know you have some family to fall back on but i don't want that because i don't want anybody in my family said i told you not to leave your your job right so taking that leap of faith i think is the hardest thing but If you take it and you stay the course um, and you, you know, keep pivoting and, you know, refining whatever it is that you do and be open to whatever opportunities come your way, it has the ability to change your life and to change the life of others as you have illustrated
1: absolutely i am a
0: huge fan i don't know if you've noticed but i am a huge fan i love that you are out there in the world i love it when you took that picture of yourself you had all the flowers on your chest i shared all those photos because i love that you embrace who you are a hundred percent you don't give a shit about what anybody else thinks do you get trolled a lot on and on the interwebs from that i used to trolling
1: truthfully i get more trouble from my friends from taking pictures with flowers under my chest than any from me Oh, okay out.
0: well i tell your friends you don't even know we all love that you don't even know um,
1: <laughs> i think i think it's one of the things that i have as privileged as a man and i think oh, that's sure. one of the things that i realize is that as a man doing these things in my stature you know i'm six three 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 forty three fifty like if you don't see me in the streets, you're going to see me in the streets. But most of the time I don't get trolled. And then for the people I do troll, like I'm more of a, um, you'll get these black hands. Like I black people with the quickness. I don't like, look. Yeah, me too. Um, it may happen, but I would say for the most part, it's because I'm a man that um, that male privilege where people don't troll me as much or say much about my body as they do if I was a woman. Mm, fair
0: enough. Fair enough. That double standard. Well, as we come up on the hour, can you share with us what your vision is for the future? What are some of the things that you're looking forward to doing and how people can get in touch with you um, around, around, you know, changing their mindset from exercise being a chore to movement, being joyful and mindful and intentional.
1: Yes. So, um, some of my crusades that I'm on uh, recently just launched a a merch brand or merch merchandise for the Slow EF Run Club. It's the Run Club that I that I created and founded. I'm just going to throw on this head for shameless plugs there. Yeah, um,
0: please
1: just do your plugs. So I've created a merch line called the Slow EF Run Club. It's a part of our. Um, actual Slow AF Run Club is on um, we have an app on iOS and Android. Nice. You download and the, the app, app there. Slow at AF? Slow AF Run Club.
0: All right. Slow AF so Run Club.
1: Yeah, so I call it the best uh, community for slow runners on the internet. Nice. And it, we're there to help provide information, education, and motivation
2: mm-hmm. for
1: people in the back of the pack. People who want to get started running things of that sort who may not feel Comfortable talking about running on Facebook and things of that sort. So okay. we have our own right. our own platform there. We do uh, do run coaching inside of that thing. Uh, we do virtual challenges, things of that sort, virtual races, as well as merch. So we recently just launched our uh, a, a merch line called the Paisley Turtle, uh, funneled after this amazing I hat really that turtle. we have here. And one of the things that we have we we have uh, back tanks and t shirts. Um, and they range from size small all the way up until size 7X, I believe. Nice. 7X for the tank top, 6X for the t-shirts. And I think just one of the things is just being able to provide um, size, uh, have size inclusivity for clothing, not only for men, but women, but for men as well. So yeah, for sure. um, that that's one of the things that I'm doing. And I think that's the thing that I really want is just size inclusivity for all, for all in order to be able to uh experience the things that we all want to experience especially when it comes to running so i think that's that um you can find me on the interwebs on all things at 300 pounds of running so facebook instagram and twitter at 300 pounds of running also 300 pounds of running.com and then um instagram and facebook for run slow af and then slow and then, uh, like I said, the, download the Slow AF Run Club app on Facebook, uh, on iOS and Android.
0: I'm going to be downloading that because I am slow AF. Um, I used to be faster in my 30s, and I've given up on that. And just a reminder to folks, even though you're running slow, you're still running. Exactly. Right? And even if you run and walk, you're still running, and you're still a runner.
1: You're still running. Yeah, exactly. So so we got that there. And then lastly, I have a book coming out. Uh Yay! probably titled the same thing the slow F run club um that will be coming out in march or june of 2023
0: march or june well we'll be putting all of that in the show notes for those of you who are listening and that anybody anybody can be a running body and running and walking counts and to shift our mindset around exercise is something that can be intentional, because I need to be honest with you, sometimes running is not joyful, but it's always intentional, right? When I'm running, I'm here because I know after I stop running, I'm going to feel really good. And even if you go out for, I have a rule, even if I just go out for 10 minutes, I'll run 10 minutes one direction. And then I'm like, okay, I've had enough and I'll turn around and run 10 minutes back. But that's okay. My friend, uh, Charlie, we are virtual runners together. We do that for each other. We're like, we're just going to run seven minutes today. And I run for seven minutes. And all of a sudden, seven minutes becomes 10 minutes. And 10 minutes becomes 15 minutes. And 15 minutes becomes 20 minutes. And then I'm too far away from home to walk back in any kind of uh, practice. And <laughs> then I just turn around and get back. But know that every little bit counts. And as Louise Green says, it's not an all or nothing. It's an all or something, right? Big facts. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Martinus, for being on the podcast. You can – I will link to all of your information um, in the show notes below. And I will be buying merch. So when I get my merch, I'm going to share it on my Instagram and everywhere. Because we want to support inclusivity and size inclusivity for everything. Just because you are in an abundant, fat, plus-size body doesn't mean you're not entitled to enjoy the body that you're in or that you don't have access to things that can make your body feel good thanks for joining us on the podcast
1: thank you for having me
0: all right until next time thanks for being a part of the intentional well-being podcast check us out on anywhere you listen to podcasts and if you don't mind if you would rate like subscribe and share i would be forever grateful until next time everyone see you later